Well, the question of the day is, are you happy, happy, happy? question my friends are asking in literally changing America. It's an amazing thing. The Bible says that God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And we live in a nation today where courts and judges and atheist groups say, no, you can't pray, you can't do, you can't, you can't pray. And lo and behold, every week on A&E, largest TV show going now, they are praying at the end of every meal that they have together. But they're not just praying, they are showing America how to make family work, how to make relationships work, and how to enjoy life. Well, I've been doing a series the last few weeks called Happy, Happy, Happy. And what it's about, it's about a series on how to have healthy relationships, basing on biblical principles, not just uh, sections of Duck Dynasty, but from the Bible, what the Bible teaches us about how to get along with people, how to cause relationships to bring us joy and happiness. The first two weeks we talked about the golden rule, which simply is treat people the way you want to be treated. And we're going to shift gears a little bit today. Today we're going to talk about how to fix a broken relationship. Because I guarantee everybody in this room, you're going to be thinking about people and circumstances and things. You may be in a relationship right now that's in trouble. And uh, I promise you this morning is going to help you a bunch. But take a little peek from our friends on Duck Dynasty because they had some problems too. Happy, 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 happy. Happy, happy, happy. Be happy, happy, happy. She's going to be happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. We're happy, happy, happy. Everybody happy, happy, happy. You're certainly very honest in your book, Happy, 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 you talk about. I mean, it hasn't always been sunshine and roses. That's correct. You guys have been married 50 years? Almost. Almost, almost 50 years? Yeah. Why? And it, it, we had some, it was actually about 10 years that were really, really, really tough. Tough, tough very times. Tough. How did that turn around for you? Well, uh, I was in a beer joint, and a preacher came in with a Bible, and I'm like, and my, my little sister is up in the front handing out tracts, you know, that religious really tracts. And they started kind of, some of the old guys, you know, drinking beer, you know, and they started romping on her a little bit. So I walked her to the front and I said, listen, my little sister is one of these holy roller types and she's passing out tracts. Leave her alone or I'll break your legs. And he really meant it. I said, it just let her, that time. just let her do her thing, you know. So the, so the first initial meeting, I pretty well ran the guy out of there, and and you uh, did my run si the guy yeah, out my there. sister told me later. She said when, when the preacher got outside, he looked around at her and he said, I don't think he's ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. he he started a little early. What he did was he didn't tell you this part because it is embarrassing. Uh, he put us out of the house, yeah. me and the three boys I had at the time, because he said we were too goody-goody and holy roller and a few other things. Because the Lord had started to work in your life at that point. Oh, I had found the Lord by that time. It was about a year ahead of him. She was uh -huh. converted first. Uh-huh. him And his sister, who had come to the beer joint and all that, she had prayed him, her and her mother for three years prior wow. to that for his salvation. Didn't really have a have a chance there, my friend. So <laughs> when he came that day to my work, yes. and he hates for me to tell this, but it was the truth. He just came there, and I thought, well, he's come up here, and he's drunk and passed out on the steering wheel because his head, but it wasn't. When he raised his head up and I opened the door, I didn't know if he was going to shoot me or, you know, what would happen. But he looked up, and he had big tears mm -hmm. in his eyes, and he said, I can't eat, I can't sleep, I want my family back. Yeah. And, you know, then I thought, oh, he's just like I want him. Yeah. 
But I knew, I said, he said, I'm never going to drink again. And I said, you can't do it by yourself. Yeah. And I found myself being stronger because God was telling me, you got to stand up here. By the way, now, Miss Kay, I said to Miss Kay now, when uh, uh, you're not going to run out on me one of these days, are you? And she said, Phil, she said, listen to my voice. She said, I stayed with you when you were mean and we were poor. She said, now you're kind and we're rich. Number one, rich is better, and I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> well, everybody say rich may be better. But do you remember the part of the video where she said, he kicked me out of the house, his wife and his three kids. Now, how many know all relationships have problems? And I want to help you this morning. There's three words. They're very simple, but it's profound. Admit it, quit it, and forget it. Can you say that with me? Admit it, quit it, and forget it. Let's look in the Bible together. Let's start in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. And I want to make a statement that even godly people don't get along sometimes. Let me say that again. Even godly people don't get along sometimes. Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13, two chapters earlier, had been called by God. It was, a, it was a worship service. They're worshiping, fasting, seeking God. And in the middle of that worship service, the Holy Spirit prophetically says, I want Paul and Barnabas to join together, and I want them to reach the Gentile world. And they took the gospel west. We're here today because of their partnership in Acts 13. So this pair now, a couple chapters later, Paul said to Barnabas, Paul is the, is the leader of the two. He's the one that sends to have God's greater grace on his life. And he said, let's visit each city where we previously preached so we can see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas, verse 37, agreed, and he wanted to take along John Mark. Now, verse 38, Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia. Now, we don't know why, but for some reason, this young Christian, a young Christian man, John Mark, uh, maybe the persecution was there. How I many know Paul would be persecuted a lot? They'd stone and throw rocks at him. And how many know if you're with him, you're right in that same turmoil. But something happened, and Paul lost his confidence in this young man. But verse 39, I want you to say this with me. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Let's say that again. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. So, and now Barnabas takes John Mark with him, and he sailed for Cyprus. Just facts, nothing else. Notice the next phrase, verse 40. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Now, I want you to see this. When Barnabas left, nothing really was said. But when Paul left, the believers basically blessed the journey. So it seems to suggest that the two men were in conflict, but the church recognized where God's grace was. It continued to be on Paul. Now, I'm going to come back to their story in the latter part of the message because it's quite significant. But what I want you to lay hold of this morning is even good people, even godly people, bump heads sometimes. We bump heads in our marriages. We bump heads in our churches. We bump heads in our jobs, in our partnership. We bump heads as we go because life is filled with disagreement. Now, Paul, we all know, we can talk the characters just a moment. Paul was uh, arguably, outside of Jesus, the greatest figure in the New Testament. He's the one that brought the gospel westward. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Barnabas, his partner, was a Jewish man. He was a Levite. And, and Barnabas was the one that after Paul was converted, you know, Paul was originally called Saul of Tarsus. And as a Jew, he was going and he was persecuting the church. 
So how many know you're kind of afraid of a guy like that because he has authority from the Romans to squelch Christianity? Well, lo and behold, he gets saved miraculously. But Barnabas is the one that takes him to the apostles and said, hey, this is a good guy. Another thing we know about Barnabas in Galatians 2 is that somehow Peter, if you remember, Peter was a Jew. He was the great voice of the church in Jerusalem. Well, Peter had gotten kind of crossways over Gentiles and Jews and the law and how much of the Jewish law Gentiles should practice. And basically, Paul rebuked Peter and called him a hypocrite. But Galatians 2 says that Barnabas was deceived in the midst. And that's about all we know about Barnabas. Now, John Mark, he was Barnabas' cousin. Okay, so Barnabas's cousin, he too was a Jew. Uh, his mom owned the home in Acts 12 where Peter, remember when Peter's in prison, the church is praying. His mom owned the house where they were praying. Church tradition tells us that Mark was uh, Peter's interpreter and he even wrote the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark arguably is perhaps uh, Peter's great sermons and what Peter taught, and taught him. Now, with those facts being said and these things going on, we see that Paul and Barnabas butted heads. And it reminds us that we're going to butt heads with people sometimes. Things are just not going to work out. Now, all these three men went on and did something with their lives great for God. All of them made a difference in the world, but for some reason, this critical relationship that God put together in Acts 13 was broken apart. Now, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I'm going to teach you basically this morning that we must forgive everyone that does us wrong. There's no question about that. But many relationships that you bump heads with, you know, they're just going to kind of go away. Uh, let's say if you're working at the restaurant and somebody steals your tips and you find out and you get mad at them and talk to the manager, I mean, that's probably a relationship that's, you know, it's just kind of over and down the road. Uh, you know, again, maybe you're working and maybe somebody steals something from you. And, you know, they have to be fired. And that relationship's probably over. But there are God-ordained relationships, now hear me, that God wants us to reconcile. I mean, we should try to be at peace with all men as much as possible with us. We should do our best to reconcile with everybody. But there are some relationships, like a Barnabas-Paul, that God wants to us to take the extra step to reconcile. So this morning, this is what we're talking about. And uh, we're going to explore how to bring relationships that are torn and stretched back together. Now, Proverbs 28, let's start with the first one. It's the word, admit it. Can you say that? Admit it. It's the biblical word is confession. Confession means simply to acknowledge what I've done wrong. And how many would agree with me that one of the hardest things you'll ever do is tell someone, I'm sorry for what I did, will you forgive me? Okay, three of us. We're just filled with a room full of people that are just saints, and this is real easy. It's hard sometimes to go up to someone, swallow your pride, or get beyond your hurt. Because how many know we build a wall when we get hurt? You know, you know the phrase, you know, hurt me once and shame on you, hurt me twice, shame on me. So I build a wall to protect me from thee. I mean, you know, but as Christians, sometimes we're to keep going. Forgiveness is to have an unlimited supply. Jesus was asked how many times you must forgive a man and was seven enough. And Jesus said, no, seven times 70. But this word admit it, this word confession is key. Proverbs 28, 13. It's as people who conceal their sins or hide them or ignore them or their mistakes, their, their, their faults, they will not prosper. But if they, say it with me, confess and turn from them, they'll receive mercy. Now, this scripture clearly applied to our relationship with God, but I suggest to you it applies to our relationship with people. 
that if we acknowledge to people our faults, the things that we've done wrong, if we confess them, that the Bible says mercy will flow into our relationship. James says this, James 5, 16, confess your sins to who? One another. Now, this is not for salvation. This is not suggesting the need for a priest or a mediator between us and God. I suggest the application is those that you have sinned against, God wants us to go to them and acknowledge that sin and pray for one another so you'll be healed. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, post it on Facebook. No, I'm sorry, the print was a little small. If your brother sins against you, get even. If your brother sins against you or if your sister sins against you, if your spouse sins, sins against you, get back to back and sleep that way. If your husband offends you, put him on the couch. Maybe that's good sometimes. But, but the suggestion here clearly from Jesus is, is the starting place for restoring a relationship is to go connect with that person and talk about it. The starting place is admitting to God and to people that there's a problem that we shouldn't lie about it, cover up, justify, blame other people, but take responsibility and say that we have a problem that, uh, that God wants us to fix. Now, restoration can begin no matter who's at fault. And let me suggest two scenarios. One scenario is, is if you have done wrong. In other words, uh, it's, it's clear that, uh, that you've done wrong, and uh, now it's just a matter of, of, of fessing up. Let me give you an example. Let's say a mom has a three- and four-year-old. And a little girl goes in, she's three, and she says, Mommy, Mommy Billy broke my dolly, pulled his head off, and I don't love my dolly, Mommy, Mommy. Mommy takes little dolly and little girl, and they're walking and find Billy, Billy, is there something you want to tell Mommy? Yes, Mommy. What is it? I broke Sissy's dolly. Is there something you want to say? Sissy, I'm sorry I broke your dolly. It's okay. Daddy's going to buy me a bigger and better one. <laughs> now, that's kind of easy to see how that works, and sometimes it happens that way. But, but, but how about if, if you're not... Now, listen, most relationships, it takes two to have a fight. But yet, let's say if this person is mostly the one in the wrong, and, 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 and they're the one that's dug their feet in the ground, I want to suggest this to you. This admitted idea can still go forwards, even if you're not the primary one that's at fault. This one can take a step forwards. And the way we take this step forwards in this one is that you go to that person, and rather than saying, what you did was wrong, you hurt me, I'm mad at you, say, look, we've got a problem here. And I know neither one of us are perfect. Both of us had something to do with it. But I just want to say I'm sorry for what I did, and I want to try to fix this thing. As opposed to attacking them, and even if it's their fault, now hear me on this one. Let's say your spouse had an affair, and they went out, and they were running around on you, and uh, Jesus gives you... Now, that's the only reason that Jesus gives for a legitimate out for marriage. It's, it's divorce. You know, Paul says if they die, and that doesn't mean that you've killed them, but if they die, that, that, you know, that you're free to, for, to marry again. So the Bible's pretty, pretty, pretty concise there. Well, let's say if they do that, you can legitimately get out of it. But as you pray and you've got kids and all that, and they seem, you know, they're just, he's just kind of withdrawn, he's hurt, he's mad, he's whatever, you, you can make a choice. And I've watched women do this. You can make a choice to say, look, you know, I'm going to forgive you uh, because I believe we can make this thing work. You can go to the person even if they're not coming to you. But there's power in this first step is admitting it, and it's the first step towards restoring any relationship that's broken. Now, uh, let's look at the second one, Luke 3. It's the word quit it. Can you say that with me? Quit it. Now, the biblical word is the word repentance. It means to change 
It means to act differently. It's not just being sorry for what you've done, but it's a literal change. Now, Luke 3, verse 7, John the Baptist. Now, this word repentance is a word that's pretty much missing from modern Christian vernacular. But repentance, which is change, turn, it's, a, it's an act. It's not just feeling sorry for what we've done, but it's, 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 being, it's becoming different. This was the first word that Jesus, or John the Baptist spoke when he baptized people, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. If you look in the first preaching that Jesus did, he used the word repent. If you look at Peter on the day of Pentecost, he too called the people to repent and turn to God. So uh, becoming a Christian is not just some knowledge-based, eclectic thought where you just put another Christian thought in your head. It's turning your life to follow Christ. There's power because there's action involved. John the Baptist is baptizing, and he, he speaks to the crowds who came to be baptized. And notice what he said. He said, do the things. Can you say that with me? Do the things that show you've really changed your hearts and lives. Now, there's a lots of folks being baptized. They're trying to get right with God. And, and John said, look, this is more than just getting wet. It's more than just feeling bad because you made a mistake. I want you to start living differently. Make choices to live differently. If you've got two shirts, share with the person that doesn't have one. And John said to the tax collector, don't take more taxes from people than you've been ordered to take. Now, let me give you an example maybe how this works. Um, let's say your marriage is, is really not where you want it to be. It's kind of got some tension going on. Let's say your husband, he's at the gym seven nights a week. I mean, he's really into weightlifting. He's really into his body, and uh, there's problems. Uh, and you know if you don't get it straight, uh, you're headed to the, to the divorce courts. Well, you go in the counselor's office, and, you know, you talk about it. She says, it really, uh, it really hurts me. I don't understand what's going on, but he's in the gym. He never wants to spend time with me. And if the husband looks at the counselor and says, you know what, she's right. I, I've been messing up, but I'm going to try to do better. That's not repenting. Uh, I'm sorry. She's crying on the couch and puts, oh, honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's not enough. You have got to, listen, go to the gym three or four nights and come home three or four nights. And maybe even more than that. But, but repentance is changing. It's not going to the counselor and said, I feel bad about it, but not making any, di any difference. It's reversing the course your own. And I'm telling you, it's powerful in a relationship when we're willing to make adjustments in our lives, willing, willing to do something different in the relationship to help the other person to restore that thing. Now, let me suggest to you one reason, gals, the reason that your husband may be going to the gym is because something's missing at home. Let me help you a little bit here. Guys, I want you to put your, if you're married, I want you to put your fingers in your ears just a second. If you'll just please do this. I want to talk to your wife just a second. You can do this. It's okay. Let me tell you, girls, the man you're married to is a very simple person, and he's a little boy in a man's body, and he really needs two things. He needs honor and sex. I'm trying to help you now. He still is a little boy getting up to bat and t-ball looking in the stands for mom and dad. The only problem now is he's living with you, and the world is just as tough and mean as it can be, and he needs somebody to say, honey, you're doing a good job, and that's you. And the problem is you're hurting and you want him to love you, but sometimes you have to love him first. And I'm telling you, honor and sex with a good home-cooked meal every once in a while will, 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 will go a long ways. And if there's a lot, I'm embarrassing myself, but, 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 but if you will allow yourself just a little wiggle and a little nuke, you don't understand what I'm talking about, uh, entice him, you'll win that guy's heart and he won't want to go to the gym. 
Now, just a thought there. I know he doesn't deserve that, but repentance is changing, and we have to change before we feel like it. Come on, we have to change because it's the right thing to do. I'm preaching better than your amening now. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. But let me say this. this. It's simple in church to say change. It's hard when you're sitting down at Thanksgiving dinner. It's hard when you go into the office tomorrow. It's hard when you meet your ex-spouse to transfer the kids. It's easy to do in church. It's hard to actually live it. Let me make this statement. You need more than willpower to change. We need spirit power sometimes. Some things are very easy. I've watched people, and it's easy just like that. They say, you know what? Honey, I didn't realize it was hurting you. I'm home. I'll be there tonight at 6 o'clock. But sometimes it's difficult to do. Now, listen to what the Bible says. There is spiritual power. There is supernatural help available if we will yield control of our lives to the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit's role in our life is, 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 is not just to give us power to share our faith and, and do exploits, but it's power to change us on the inside. Now, I want you to imagine, the Bible says in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I want you to imagine your life is a tree, and as a tree, you have fruit hanging on your branches. The fruit that may be hanging here is a, is, a, is a temper. I mean, you can go off in a minute and throw stuff across the house. That's the fruit that you're bearing. Or, or maybe the fruit on this side of the tree is depression or whatever the case is. You just get mad, you go home. But the Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace. Notice, uh, patience which means if you are an impulsive, impatient person, if you will yield control of your life to God, at some point in time, God will turn your impatience into patience. He will change you on the inside, and what you cannot do by willpower, He will do by spirit power. Now, this is a big, big, big thing. He will produce in you kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm telling you, if you're addicted to pornography and you can't turn that thing off, you can have an encounter with God like the movie Fireproof, and if you can't just unplug it or let the, 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 the guardian take care of it, that old boy took the computer outside and he whacked it. I mean, the Holy Spirit will give you the ability to be different than you are today if you will yield control of your life to Him. It is a choice of your will. I do it all the time. I try to encourage you to do it in services every time. Say, Lord, I love you and I surrender my life to you. Because Jesus doesn't want to be in the back seat of the car with you. How many know He wants to be driving the car of our lives? And if we'll yield control of our life to Him, friends, then we can quit it even though it's hard. Now, let me give you the third one, and it's forget it. Now, of the points in the message, forgiveness is so important, I almost did a whole message on forgiveness. But I'm going to have to be concise in the next 10 minutes, so I want you to stay with me on this. We talked about admit it, then we talked about quit it, and the third thing is forget it. Can you say that with me? Forget it. Now, forget it, the biblical term is forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is not synonymous with forgetting. When you, you can forgive somebody but still remember it. This week, the guy that went in a year ago in uh, the Family Research Council in, in Washington went in with a gun and a bag of Chick-fil-A sandwiches, and he was going to kill a lot of people because this group represented Christian values in America. And the tragic thing, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which used to be a good organization in America, has turned into this organization that hates those of the Christian cause. And on their website, they listed Family Research Council along with James Dobson's Focus on the Family, along with Don Wildman's American Family Association, 
listed these groups as hate groups in America. This old guy, about 30 years old, got upset, went down there, was going to take care of business. And the guard was able to subdue him. He got shot in the arm one time. And when he came to trial this week, and the guy, was, of course, was convicted to prison, but when he came to trial, the guard looked at him, or the guy that, that worked at Family Research Council, and he said, I forgive you, but I'm not going to forget, and we're going to continue to stand for the values that we believe in. So forgiveness can release the person. It can release you from the pain, the torment, and guilt. And I understand unforgiveness. I know what it's like. When I lived in Wake Village, I can remember a time that I was cutting my grass, thinking about something someone had done to me seven years earlier. And I, it was still as real as it was back then as I was reliving it. And I remember the day that I was convicted that I had not forgiven that person because it was so painful to me. And I'm telling you this, friends, the deeper the hurt, the harder it is. The more emotion that you've got in it, the harder it is to forgive. Now, let's read a verse or two here. I think this will help you. Forgiveness, by definition, it means to pardon or overlook an offense. Just like when God forgives us, what, is it, what does that communion cup remind you of? Jesus has forgiven my sins. I didn't have to pay for them. I didn't have to do anything, but he granted me forgiveness. Forgiveness means that I show mercy, that I treat the offender as not guilty that I turn justice over to God. And that's what forgiveness is about, a pursuit of justice. Now, in the Lord's Prayer, I pray the pattern of the Lord's Prayer most days of my life. And one of the phrases in the Lord's Prayer is this, Matthew 6, 12, Forgive us our sins or our debts. In other words, I owe you something. Forgive us my sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So I want you, God, to forgive me just like I forgive people. And right after the Lord's Prayer, here's what Jesus said. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. How many can say, I want forgiveness? <laughs> I need it. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will what? Now, that's a big deal. So how many can say with me, forgiveness is pretty important? Now, let's, let's explore it a little deeper. My natural response when you hurt me, offend me, disagree, is to hurt you back. And we do that, in we punish people in different ways. How many people are kind of a passive-aggressive? When somebody hurts you, you withdraw and punish them by withdrawing. Let me see your hands. A few of us, honest people. How many are just aggressive people? And somebody hurts you, you're in attack mode. Let me see your hand. Okay, you should be locked up, okay? I hope the NSA is watching somehow today, and I hope you're arrested. You should just be locked up, and you would make the world easier for the rest of us. Just teasing, sort of. Now, see, you made me lose my point there. <laughs> forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not denying the wrong. Forgiveness is not saying that we don't hurt, that we're not mad, that we're not offended. But forgiveness, pardoning that other person, turning them over to God is what we're talking about. You see, unforgiveness is about justice. So if I'm laying back to back, you, husband and wife, at night, I'm punishing you. You know, I'm, I'm withholding affection. I'm not holding your hand. I'm not praying for you. I want to punish you because you hurt me. And that's what unforgiveness is all about, the pursuit of justice. And I'm going to keep you on the couch. Come on until I feel you've, you, you've paid for your penalty, your crime. Forgiveness, is, unforgiveness is about, in whatever case it may be, uh, unforgiveness causes people to seek vengeance. See, forgiveness doesn't deny the place of laws in a civil society. But most of the offenses in my life are not the breaking of a moral law. Most offenses against me are relational head bumping. 
You see, unforgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice, but it usually involves a process. Forgiveness is not a one-time thing. The deeper the hurt, the deeper the pain, the harder it is to be released from it. Forgiveness does not feel fair because what they need is justice, and now God's calling me to give them mercy. But guess what? What do I need because of my sins? Justice. <laughs> but what do I want from God? Mercy. Now, let me, let's talk a second about how do I forgive somebody? How do I turn this desire over? Now, as I said, it, it really starts with a choice, and it's that simple. It starts with a choice. You can look at them face to face and say, I forgive you, just like the guy did in the court this week. You can go to the cemetery, listen, and you can look at a tombstone and say, Dad, I forgive you because you were not there for me. You can go to God in prayer and say, God, I choose to forgive them today, but I want myself to hear it. Now listen, and I'm going to forgive you every time I feel it in my heart. Now let me illustrate this with a little tambourine. You may not know this, but I am a professional tambourine player. No, no, I am. I know I am. Well, several years ago, we were a little more demonstrative in church, and I had a tambourine. And I would really let that thing rock and roll. I mean, it was a big old tambourine. It would, it would sparkle when lights hit it. It had streamers hanging down from it. And I just, you know, I was playing my tambourine. The only problem is I had zero rhythm. And the music people in the church, not wanting to offend the poor little preacher, didn't say anything. However, I was gone. And, and, and at that time, our, our church roof was leaky. And, and we'd have, I mean, we'd have buckets in church on downpours. Well, and the ceiling tiles would fall out. And, you know, we just hoped nobody was sitting under it when it happened. Well, I go on vacation. I come back. My tambourine is gone. And what I've come to find out, the music minister at that time, his initials were MB. He and a group of folks that were with him took my tambourine, threw it up in the ceiling. It is a true story. The agony is flowing from my, my heart as I tell you this. You say, how do you know it was in the ceiling, Pastor? When we replaced our ceiling several years ago with these black tiles, the tambourine fell on the ground. It's true. You know it, don't you, Gary? <laughs> Fell on the ground. You'll notice I don't have that nice tambourine anymore because the current music minister, N.B., did something with it, and I don't know what he did with it. He's not here today, is he? He'll be back next week. Now, I'm kind of laughing about that, but how many know it gets pretty tough sometimes? How many know your spouse has an affair on you? Come on. And not only do they divorce you, but they get the kids, they get the stuff, or whatever the case is. You get fired, and now you lose your house or whatever, and you, uh, uh, life is filled with stuff. Here's how you forgive somebody. Forgiveness happens first between you and God. And you come to God, here's your choice. Lord, I just want to take this. They hurt me bad. But I'm not going to punish. I'm going to try to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to forgive them. It's like you take this to heaven. What you're saying is, I'm turning justice over to God. Lord, you get back at them. You know, you take his voice away so he'll never sing again. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> just kidding. But, but you just throw it back to every time it comes because here's the deal. You're, in the, you're cutting your grass seven years later and, and, and if it falls in your mind, you can either hold on to it and relive everything or listen, catch it with an open hand and throw it back to God. And at some point, you're going to throw it high enough and you're going to look and it's not there and the sting of it is gone. You may remember it, but forgiveness is a choice and a process.
to turn things over to God. Now, let me say this, and you may not believe it, but it's the Bible. If that doesn't work, the Bible gives you the right to kill them. You don't believe it? You want a verse? You kill them with kindness, though. See? Luke 6, 27. Jesus, I say to you, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Now, if we weren't Christians and didn't believe in the Bible, we would say, that's stupid. I'm not mean to be sacrilegious, but why would you do that to somebody that hurts you? You're supposed to get even. The rivalry that started in high school with you and the Crosstown team for no reason that you understand. You're supposed to hate those people the rest of your life. I mean, come on, that's just what you're supposed to do. We're supposed to keep going until we exact every bit of vengeance, even if it takes years and years and years and years and years. Remember the Count of Monte Cristo? Great little movie there. I mean, he spent most of his life getting even for the person who hurt you. Now listen, again, I'm not denying that when civil laws are broken, God's given us laws and culture. But in our hearts, we cannot live that way. Here's what Jesus said. I say to you, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who are cruel to you. I've got to tell you this from experience. I, I cannot hate somebody I pray for. If I'm praying for you every time you come to my mind, my hatred will melt like wax. I just cannot do it. Uh, the Bible even says that in Romans 12 that we can overcome evil with what? With good. And I'm telling you, I live this all the time. I am way too sensitive for my own good. I wish I had, you know, kind of rhinoceros skin and heart, but I don't. And when I think of these things, I just say out loud, I want my ears to hear it if I'm alone. I bless them, Lord. I pass houses in parts of town where people live or this or that happened to me and it comes to my mind and when I go by, I did it this morning. I say, bless them, Lord. I pray they have a great day today because I don't want it to fall in my hand and relive it again. And I'm telling you, if you have this junk inside, you can drop a bomb on them. Now, let me tell you another thing you can do. to. Re- Let's say you go to the restaurant and the person that really hurt you, uh, they're right there. I mean, they're in the restaurant. And uh, uh, you look across, how many know your ribs are not going to taste as good that night? I don't, care. I don't care how much sauce you put on them because they're there. You want to kill that thing? Buy them dinner. Buy them dinner if you want to kill that thing. And if you don't have enough money to buy them dinner, Pastor Orville is here. Orville, wave your hand at everybody. <laughs> Orville will give you some money and you can buy their dinner. Now, I'm laughing. I'm joking there, okay? But, but if you can't afford their dinner, buy them dessert. Why would you do that? Are you just crazy? No, you're overcoming evil with good. You are clearing it from your heart. You are acting with mercy as God acts with mercy. It's helping you, but it opens a door for... That was not planned. It opens a door for reconciliation where only God can work. Let me close and wrap up with this. Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you So you must forgive others. Go back just a moment. We'll be done in a moment. I want you to think when we talked, where our message began today about Paul and Barnabas separating over John Mark. Notice 2 Timothy 4. This is a letter Paul wrote to his son Timothy. He said, Luke alone is with me, but get Mark. I want you to get Mark and bring him with you because now he's what? He is... Very useful to me in the ministry. Don't you think about that? 
This guy that at one time Paul didn't trust to even travel with him, now he says, go get him because he's, he's useful to me in the ministry. Paul and Mark had reconciled. But there's no indication in the Bible that Paul and Barnabas ever reconciled. Now, maybe they did. How I many know when the Bible is silent, we can't be absolute? But I want to suggest to you a possible scenario that happened that I think is, is the dynamic behind it. Zach, as you begin to play there, if you look in the book of Acts, Barnabas is mentioned 14 times until they had their conflict. Do you know how many times Barnabas is mentioned in the book of Acts after the conflict? Zero. Paul and Barnabas were put together as a team by the Holy Spirit. They had a conflict, they split up, and we never hear from Barnabas again. I suggest to you that maybe that was a relationship that God wanted restored. And because it was too painful, too hurtful, too whatever, that Barnabas just let it go and did the easy thing, divorce and get out of town. Remember I told you earlier, you have to forgive everybody? And you won't reconcile to everybody. But there are some key relationships that will be in your life that God wants you to reconcile. That God wants you to go the extra step. That God wants you to go the extra mile. Because I'm telling you, friend, I believe Barnabas missed a great opportunity. And it could be the opportunity of a lifetime when you close the door on a relationship because you're hurt or because you're in pain. I encourage you, friends, if the Holy Spirit brings somebody like that to mind for you, go to Him and ask Him, Lord, what do I do to restore the relationship you want? And my friends, it's found in what we talked about today. Admit it, quit it, and forget it. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. He's worthy of our praise. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing this song through a time or two, and I believe the next five minutes could be the most important part of the service for you today. I want you to just open your heart again to God. And as you worship the Lord just a moment in this quiet time, I just want you to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Just leave us today. So Holy Spirit, you are worthy.